0: Today on the Matt Wall Show, Tim Tebow is getting another crack at the NFL, but Colin Kaepernick isn't. The media says this is evidence of racism. I say it's evidence of something else. Also, five headlines including hackers shut down a major U.S. pipeline. And the GOP says that we need to get mothers back to work. Is that the right messaging? Is that conservative messaging? Also, is a horse the latest victim of cancel culture? We'll have to talk about that. And speaking of canceling in our daily cancellation, we'll deal with the morbidly obese model in quotes there who now says she has anorexia. They just don't make anorexics like they used to. We'll talk about that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. <music> Yesterday, we began the show by talking about the many millionaire and billionaire celebrities who are being horrifically oppressed in this country. It's a big problem. Michelle Obama, principal among them, a woman who says you know she fears walking down the street because of all the racist cops out there prowling around. She also says uh, she was in line for ice cream once and a white woman cut in front of her accidentally. These are the kinds of deprivations and persecutions that she has suffered. Oprah, LeBron James, Meghan Markle, and others uh, join her in the ranks of extraordinarily wealthy and powerful victims. But I feel a little embarrassed today because while listing all of the most prominent and profitable victims in America today, I somehow neglected to mention the greatest of them all, the man who will surely take center stage on the Mount Rushmore of self-victimizing millionaire brats. And that would be, of course, Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick, a former NFL bench rider who decided to start protesting injustice at exactly the moment when his NFL career was going off the rails. Interesting timing. Then when he uh, failed out of the league after a, se- after a season where he went 1-10 in 10 as a starter, he started, to, uh, he started a new career as a professional activist. That career has been far more successful and profitable than his playing career by a large margin. He's had deals with Netflix, Nike, many other major companies, released his own shoe, gotten a book deal, a movie deal, and all the while, he's being hailed as a martyr for the cause. I mean, what cause exactly? Well, that was never made exactly clear. Originally, we were told that his kneeling during the anthem was a protest against police brutality not against the flag itself or the country. But then a few years ago, Nike released a shoe or tried to release a shoe with an American flag on it and Kaepernick complained. because he didn't, want a, he didn't want there to be a shoe with a flag on it and they recalled the shoe. Now, apparently, I guess he does have a problem with the flag itself. What could his problem possibly be? I mean, how could he hate a country that's made him rich and famous beyond the wildest dreams of normal people? And given him all this wealth and fame, despite the fact that he's produced nothing of value, or really nothing at all, and actually flunked out of his chosen field. How is that possible? Well, these are all good questions. And we have another chance to think about these questions now that Kaepernick is back in the news. Reading out from the Daily Wire, it says, As Tim Tebow awaits a possible one-year contract to play for the Jacksonville Jaguars, progressives on Twitter have excoriated the NFL for leaving former 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick out in the cold. As Daily Wire reported on Monday, Ian Rappaport of NFL Insider announced that Tebow stands on the cusp of signing with the Jacksonville Jaguars and reuniting with his former mentor. Uh, He's tweeted, quote, the Jaguars are planning to sign QB turned tight end Tim Tebow to a one-year deal, a deal that could be official in the next week or so. Nothing done yet, but he'll have a chance to make the team to reunite with his mentor and college head coach Urban Meyer. So it's a chance to uh, make the team. He's not actually on the team yet. But uh, back to to the articles, as Kaepernick fans, many of whom feel the NFL blackballed him in response to his national anthem protests in the name of Black Lives Matter, did not welcome the news. Quote, interesting how the same people that are praising Tim Tebow for his values outside of football see Colin Kaepernick's values as a distraction. That according to Ahmed Ali. Uh, Another one says, there's no way you can tell me that Tim Tebow deserves to be on a team as an unproven tight end who hasn't played in nine years more than Colin Kaepernick. There's just no way that's going to make sense. That, according to David Dennis Jr. There was plenty more reactions along those lines, all from the usual suspects, including Jameel Hill and others, of course. Cory Booker, a noted NFL analyst, chimed in as well. Here's what he said.
1: People are saying, you know, it, it, there's a little white privilege going on here. You know, Tim Tebow has a different, there's different standards for him. I don't him versus- to
0: cast a shadow on Tim Tebow in order to point out the injustice of Colin Kaepernick. I mean that is uh, it's wrong. He was blackballed uh, and I don't need to push somebody else down in order to point that out. So I just know that he's gotten an awful deal. It's, it's, he is an extraordinary athlete uh, who had his career sabotaged by people that were against him doing what some of the greatest athletes of all times from Arthur Ashe to Muhammad Ali have done which is speak out against injustice.
1: Do you think Colin maybe should try a different position, or is that is it just, I, it, you I, think it's it's
0: more than just a position thing. I think it has nothing to do with him. It has to do with the NFL and, and the decisions that were made. Just perfect there in that video. Uh, perfect timing as they're interviewing Cory Booker in, uh, it looks like, D.C., and uh, a guy jogs by wearing a mask. Just absolutely perfect. These lunatics, these psychos. Um Anyway, these comparisons are all coming from people who either don't understand the game of football, probably the case for Corey Booker, or who are pretending not to understand. Tim Tebow will be attending training camp to try out for a different position where he will no doubt be a backup and get paid the minimum salary or close to it. So he just wants to play the game and he's willing to do whatever it takes for a shot at playing the game. In contrast, Colin Kaepernick has shown no interest in playing at any position, let alone, let alone a less glamorous one as a backup for comparatively little money. In fact, two years ago, the NFL held a workout for Kaepernick in the middle of the 2019 season. 25 scouts attended. This was all unprecedented as far as I know. The NFL doesn't usually hold personal workouts for aging backup players in the middle of the season or at any other time of the year. They certainly didn't do that for Tim Tebow, I can tell you. But they did it for Kaepernick because he'd call them racist if they didn't. But as it turns out, He'll call them racist, even if they do. You're racist if you do. Racist if you don't. That's how it goes with guys like Kaepernick. Cap uh, bailed on the workout, though, and instead held his own media event, where he wore a shirt comparing himself to a slave, making him the highest-paid slave in history, we, we, we must say. And he blasted the NFL and Roger Goodell, the commissioner. It was all a publicity stunt. They held the workout for him. He refused to go to it, and then did his own event in front of in front of the cameras where he was complaining about the NFL. Is that what you do? If you really want to play for the NFL, if you want a job in the NFL, is that what you do? They invited you to the workout. There are 25 scouts there. Show up, show them what you can do, demonstrate a little bit of professionalism and humility, and you get an offer. At least to try out for a team. But he didn't want to actually play. He still doesn't. He never did. He's a con man and a grifter, an actor playing a role. And we have to also say playing it pretty damn well. Give him credit for that. But NFL head coaches, they don't want actors on their sidelines. They want players. Colin Kaepernick is not a player and doesn't want to be one. He hasn't wanted to be one since he discovered how much money there was to be made pretending to be an activist. But there's another difference too, and this is important. Another difference between Tebow and Kaepernick. Uh, The fans love Tim Tebow. Almost everyone loves Tim Tebow. Lots of people hate Colin Kaepernick. Why is that? If you're a very stupid person, you've probably already shouted, it's racism! Because of Tim Tebow, he's, he's the white guy. That's why they like him. Except that the NFL is full of beloved black athletes. So it's obviously not that. The key difference, or one of the key differences, is gratitude. Both Tebow and Kaepernick have lived a blessed life. They're both wealthy and famous and, uh, and and this country has treated them extraordinarily well. What people like about Tim Tebow is that he seems to be aware of this fact and he exudes gratitude and humility because of it. He loves this country and he's grateful for the opportunities that the country has afforded him. This is an attractive quality among all people. People root for that. People like to be around that kind of attitude. Kaepernick, on the other hand, is sullen, spoiled, ungrateful. This country has given him everything, but it's never enough. He always demands more, not because he's earned it, but because he he feels entitled to it. He's a self-victimizing drama queen, a rich, whiny, entitled complainer. Now, his 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 fellow his fellow rich, whiny, entitled complainers in the media. They like that about them because they can relate to it, but it's not the kind of thing that normal people respect or want to root for. And it distresses normal people that this attitude is so common, that there is so little gratitude in this country. And it is especially absent among the people who should be the most displaying it gratitude. That is a, a, a virtue, that's a quality. That we're losing in this country and we need to regain tim tebow versus colin kaepernick perfect example as to why now let's get to our five headlines now a word from charity mobile i've been a charity mobile customer myself for uh, for almost a year now or more and i couldn't be happier to be a part of a charity mobile because it's a great service but also a great cause as well. Uh, This is a company that calls itself the Pro-Life Phone Company and for very good reason, Charity Mobile will give 5% of your monthly plan price to the Pro-Life, Pro-Family charity of your choice, which means that everyday living becomes effortless giving. That's the, the slogan over there because that's what all it is. You're paying your bill, you're also donating to a worthy cause, and you're helping to build a culture of life in America at a time when it's so desperately needed. But as I said, it's also a great service. Um, New activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping. You also get, there's no contract, there's no termination fees, there's no risk with a 30-day guarantee. So you might as well give Charity Mobile a shot. And I think you're gonna love it. A live customer service based right here in the USA. Nationwide service on America's largest and most reliable 4G LTE network. I've never had any problems with service or anything with Charity Mobile. So you can call them at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com. So starting here, number one from the BBC, it says a cyber criminal gang that took a major US fuel pipeline offline over the weekend has acknowledged the incident in a public statement. Uh, The group is called Darkside and they wrote on their website, quote, our goal is to make money and not to create problems for society. So they're saying that they didn't mean to create, I don't know, this is kind of an apology in a way, they just, they they wanted, it was like a ransom thing, and they were trying to make money. They didn't mean to cause problems. Oh, well, in that case, don't worry about it, Darkseid. They're saying, hey, well, all we did was take down a major U.S. Uh, fuel line. We didn't think it would cause problems. What, that causes problems? Seriously? I had no idea. Uh, the U.S. issued emergency legislation on Sunday after Colonial Pipeline was hit by a ransomware cyber attack. The pipeline carries 2.5 million barrels a day, 45% of the East Coast supply of diesel, petrol, and jet fuel. Um, that, that's what the dark side. There, they're surprised by this. Well, you mean to tell us if we shut down 45% of the East Coast supply of fuel, it's gonna make, it's gonna create an issue. It's gonna be a problem, man. I had no idea. Sorry about that. My bad. The operator took itself offline on Friday after the cyber attack. Uh, after the cyber attack, work to restore services continuing on Monday. The FBI officially confirmed that DarkSide was responsible for compromising Colonial Pipelines networks, saying that it was continuing to work with the firm and other government agencies on the investigation. Um, now, you read about this and how some sort of hacking group was able to infiltrate and take down a major fuel line. And it might make you kind of concerned about what else could they do? Could they take down the power grid if they wanted to? But don't worry about it, okay? Don't worry about this, because we know, we know that um, that our intelligence agencies, they're on top of it. The FBI, the CIA, all the intelligence community, they're, they're on top of this. By, right, by putting out advertisements, uh, extolling the virtues of, of of tolerance and by you know, bringing people on to the job because they're because of their gender identity and so on and so forth. Does't that doesn't that make you uh, feel pretty comfortable? knowing that our intelligence community that, that's where their priorities are. Gender identity, tolerance, acceptance, diversity. Diversity is our number one priority. So while they're focused on that, um, we've got cyber criminals taking down fuel lines. Perfect. Wonderful. Number two, this is is a tweet here from the GOP official Twitter account. This is what they tweeted out. They said, 1.5 million U.S. mothers have fallen out of the workforce and many are staying home to take care of their children because schools have not reopened. Uh, Biden is proving to be a detriment to getting mothers back to work. This is why the Republican Party is awful at messaging and at everything else. Now, yes, we we agree that having millions of people leave the workforce, women or men, is a bad thing. And one of the consequences of having all the schools shut down is that yeah, now you've got either people are they gotta, you got you got to pay more for for child care, or you got to someone has to stay home and take care of the kids, and that has been a crisis in a lot of families. Um, even if I think that in the long term it's better not to have a public school system at all, when you take it away all at once like this, it creates major major problems for families. So all of that is true, and it's okay to point that out. You should be able to point that out um, in a way that's consistent with conservative values. Because getting mothers back to work, that's not exactly our goal as conservatives. That's certainly not the way that I would phrase it. Yet we want to get the economy back open again. That's true. And we want people who want to work to be working. This is just another perfect example here of the GOP terrible messaging. Biden is proving to be a detriment to getting mothers let's let's get mothers back to work. No, it's actually all in all it's a it's a positive thing to have mothers at home caring for their children, which isn't to say that no women should be out working. But that's a positive thing. And, so, and, and presenting it as a negative, like this is a problem. We got all these mothers at home. We got to get them back to work out in that workforce. This is a, if, if I, if it wasn't for the, if it wasn't for Biden, the fact that Biden was being attacked here, if you if you didn't know who was in office and you read that, you would assume that was a tweet from the Democrats. Because that's their goal is to get the mothers back. We don't want the mothers at home. We want them, at, in, we want them in the workforce. But as always, very little difference between the Republicans and the Democrats, as we know. Uh, speaking of Biden, number three, Joe Biden addressed the claim that unemployment is high right now because people are being paid to stay at home. <clears throat> and he doesn't see evidence of that. But at the same he doesn't see evidence that it's a problem. But at the same time, he has a plan for supposedly solving that problem. So I'm not really sure how that makes a lot of sense. But here is uh, Joe Biden.
2: We're going to make it clear that anyone collecting unemployment who is offered a suitable job must take the job or lose their unemployment benefits. There are a few COVID-19 related exceptions so that people aren't forced to choose between their basic safety and a paycheck. But otherwise, that's the law. I know there's been a lot of discussion since Friday, since Friday's report. That people are being paid to stay home rather than go to work. Well, we don't see much evidence of that. That is a major factor. We, we don't see that, that — look, it's easy to say the, — the line has been, because of the generous unemployment benefits, that it's a major factor in labor shortages. Americans want to work, so we'll insist that the law is followed with respect to benefits. But we're not going to turn our backs on our fellow Americans. 22 million people lost their jobs in this pandemic through no fault of their own. We still have 8 million fewer jobs than we did when the pandemic started. And for many of those folks, unemployment benefits are a lifeline. No one should be allowed to game the system. And we'll insist the law is followed, but let's not take our eye off the ball.
0: OK, so it's not it's not an issue, but here's the plan to, to solve the problem that doesn't exist in the first place. I agree with him that people lost their jobs through no fault of their own. I mean, that was like his fault, the fault of, of the Democrat Party, largely in many of these states uh, run by Democrats, especially that, that where the lockdowns were uh, particularly strict and, and in some cases are still in place. So I agree that it's not people's fault they lost jobs. It's the government's fault. That's absolutely the case. Um, Which is why I've said from the beginning that I support stimulus payments, uh, any uh, unemployment benefits for people who lost their job because the government took it away. As I've said all along, that's an example, I think, of an actual entitlement. The problem, generally speaking, with what we call entitlements is that oftentimes the people receiving those benefits aren't really entitled to them. So entitlement is kind of an ironic label. If you're entitled to something, it means that you're owed it. I'm owed this. Well, in many cases, the people that are getting entitlements, they're not really owed that. And if they are owed it, who who, who, who is in debt to them? In this case, when the government comes along, and for no good reason, takes your job away, takes millions of jobs away all at once, destroys your business, destroys your entire industry in some cases, um, you are entitled to restitution for that, I would say, from the government. Uh, So that is true. But it's also true, first of all, that we didn't give this entitlement only to people who were actually entitled to it. We We passed out millions and millions of checks worth billions and billions and billions of dollars regardless of whether or not someone actually needed it or not. There was there was no attempt made. I know it can be difficult to do, but these are difficult times. And so you got to do the difficult thing. It's, it's difficult to first figure out who actually needs the money, who lost their job, and to target it that way. Difficult to do. It's worth doing because the other option is just to give the money to everybody. And that means it's going to be billions of dollars wasted for no reason. And that's what we did. But even for the people who really need it, the fact is that th- there, is a, there is a tension here. There is a problem. When you, ins- when you pay people not to work, when you incentivize not working, then they're not going to work. And you're going to have a lot of people staying at home and living off of the government. And we're not just talking about mothers who you know now they're a single family household and the father is working. It's like, not like that. We're talking about entire households where nobody's working. And that's what happens when you incentivize incentivize unemployment. I don't fully blame people either. I mean, I I have to think, okay, if I didn't have a job and I'm getting paid by the government and the only job that I could really get right now is something that pays me less than what the government is giving me, yeah, I, I would certainly be tempted to just continue taking more money for doing nothing. You can understand why people would make that calculation. It's not unreasonable. I don't think it's right either, but it's not unreasonable. So that's the issue, and it's a very real problem. But Biden says, oh, we don't have to worry about it because uh, if you're you're offered a suitable job, you have to take it. And if you don't take it, then you're going to lose your unemployment benefits. There are so many ways around that It's hard. I don't even want to say that there are loopholes. It's not loop. The entire thing is one big hole. The entire policy is one big hole. You you march right through it. It's not like loopholes you have to sneak through. Because who who decides what a suitable job is? That's up to you to decide. Couldn't you just say, well, that wasn't a suitable job by my estimation? And how's the government going to know that you were offered a job? And aren't you actually only going to be offered a job if you go out and look for one? Are they requiring that you go out and look for one? How are they requiring that? How are they checking in on that? How are they confirming it? Obviously, there's no real way to uh, enforce this. And if there is a way to enforce it, our government is not interested in doing that and isn't capable of doing it. Again, this is the same government that couldn't be bothered or claimed it was unable to first find out who needed the benefits before doling them out. Now we're supposed to believe that they have the capacity and the interest in enforcing um, these kinds of policies. Not gonna happen. Just not gonna happen. All right, next we've got there's some controversy after the horse that won the Kentucky Derby turned out to have banned substances in its system. The horse is a junkie, basically, just a total drug addict. And here's the horse's trainer on, I think this is on Fox, yeah, this is on Fox News, addressing. The controversy and claiming that the horse is a victim of cancel culture. Let's listen.
3: Will you run uh, Medina Spirit this weekend in the Preakness? I know you've said that, but um, they're going to have a meeting tomorrow um, down there at that race.
4: No, I, actually, they're uh, they're on their way right now. They're in a they're in a van. They're, they're, they should arrive this afternoon, and we're definitely planning on running them. I'm oh. actually I'm going to run two horses.
1: Okay, Bob, here's my understanding. They were going to have the draw today for the Preakness, and they've kicked it back until tomorrow. Um, You have another review. Those results may not be available for several weeks. So the Preakness goes down this weekend. The Belmont is here in New York four weeks from now. I, I don't know if we have final results even before the Belmont is done, but your plan is to race in the Preakness. Is there a chance they may punt and not allow Medina Spirit to run this weekend?
4: Well, I haven't heard anything uh, officially. They haven't told me anything. Uh, I know when Churchill Downs came out with that statement, that was pretty harsh. And um, I think they had to just, you know, it, it's, you know, with all the noise going out, out, you know, we live in a different world now. This, this America is different. And uh, th- this, it was mm-hmm. like a cancel culture kind of a, a thing. So they're reviewing it. I haven't been told anything. Um, uh, we're prepared to run. Uh, I can't see But, but, but under the rules,
1: d- does your team get to review the results, or is that left with the horse officials?
4: No, it, it goes. It's, there's a long process. There'll mm-hmm. be a split sample, and then there'll be a hearing, and this it's going to take months. This is going. This isn't done within a week, and uh, it, it it's a long period. But but
1: you're, you're here to say that Bob Baffert's team did not cheat to win the Kentucky Derby.
4: We did not cheat to win the Kentucky Derby.
0: Okay, that was a lot more information about horse doping than I really cared to hear. Uh, and I have no opinion whatsoever about whether or not this horse is guilty of doping. I don't, I don't know what that entails. Uh, I don't care at all. But what I do care about a little bit is the claim there of cancel culture. And the reason I care about that is the, the cancel culture is a real thing. It's a, a real problem in our culture right now. Uh, many people's lives, many people's actual human, real lives—not horses. Like horses can deal with it. You could you could shame a horse, publicly shame a horse, cancel them. You can even take their jobs away, and they'll they'll probably be okay because they're still going to be a horse at the end of the day, uh, until we turn them into glue or whatever. If, if if that's what we're canceling, if that's if that's how we're canceling the horse, then I would say that maybe is a little bit harsh. Um, but there are real human beings who have been canceled, and their lives have been destroyed big, big problem. But when we abuse this term and overuse it, as we see all throughout society, same problem all the time, but the, the label loses its meaning because we've applied it to too many things. And that's what I really hate. It Now, anytime someone's backed into a corner like this guy is, and you can kind of see his, his heart's not even fully in it. He's, he's kind of grasping for an excuse. As I said, I have no opinion on whether or not he's guilty or whatever. I don't care. Uh, but he's grasping for an excuse. He's saying, you know, it, it's uh, society is like this right now. It's the thing with society and, uh, and it's a cancel culture, you know? The, yeah. Yeah. It's cancel culture. That's what it is. Cancel culture. It's a, yeah, no, um, it this is not, this is not cancel culture. This is, you've been accused of doing something. Maybe you did it. Maybe you didn't. People are kind of upset. Most people in the horse racing world care about it. Nobody else outside of it does. That's a normal thing. Like, at any time as long as there's been horse racing you know there are going to be controversies like this so this is not because of cancel culture this this hasn't been affected it's not like the the controversy is amped up now because of cancel culture this controversy is probably what it would have always been even without the advent of cancel culture cancel culture is an entirely different deal and it is As I always say, it is a left-wing phenomenon because most of the time it is about using institutions. Either calling for institutions to punish someone or those institutions actually doing it, punishing someone, deplatforming them, firing them, maybe even arresting them as the case may be. But it's using the power of institutions to destroy someone's life. Along with your standard kind of public shaming and all of that. All right. Uh, we also have this. Axios interviewed the CEO of GLAAD, which is the gay and lesbian... What is that? Alliance Against Defamation, I think is what it is. LGBT activist group. And uh, she talked about how social media companies are unsafe... Very unsafe for LGBT people and she's, uh, and we gotta do something about that, all these unsafe. Now, what does she mean by that? How is it unsafe? What should we do about um, these unsafe conditions? Well, she explains that sort of here.
5: So you created a social media safety index. And so the original intention was to give each of these Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, a grade. And to say, here's how you're doing. That didn't happen, why? We did come out with grades initially internally. And what we realized was it wasn't the right starting point. The right starting point was to give them the information to act and give them a roadmap to be successful. This is about less watchdogging, more partnering with these platforms to get it right. What we ended up realizing was that if we started grading they'd all fail, quite frankly. You found them all to be unsafe in different ways. They are categorically unsafe across the board, yes. We're looking for real concrete changes in the next year and thereafter. And I think we live in this space, quite frankly, between government, which is going to take a very long time to put in regulations, and these social media companies who have the roadmap but are not enacting it. And in the middle of this is the LGBTQ community who is being profited off of by hate speech and harassment. And we needed to step in quickly and make sure that our community is protected.
0: Hmm. Not gonna make any comments about the interviewer there. We'll move on to the woman who, the the president of GLAAD, who is uh, kind of, this is what tyrants look like and sound like now. First of all, using the phrase quite frankly a lot, it's, like, it's a common thing among them. But she says, oh, we want to walk alongside you and uh, we, we want to partner. This is not about us controlling. No, no, no. We're going to partner with you. We're going to walk alongside you and take your hand and grab it and not let go and guide you with however much force is necessary to the path that we have decided you need to walk. But it's partnering. Don't let go of my hand. That's the kind of partnering they're talking about. Now, I said she explains what uh, what she means by social media being unsafe for LGBT people. That is false advertising on my part. She actually doesn't explain that at all. Of course she does, because they never do. And that that's really the point. Uh, because if they don't define it, then then in, in any given situation, they, they want to be able to, to define it situationally, whatever the situation calls for They don't want to set clear boundaries of like this is what is an unsafe thing for an LGBT person. They just want to be able to because really what this is obviously about is shutting down uh, dissenting speech. People who fail it's not just people who are, uh, it's it's not even just people who actively disagree with the LGBT agenda. Obviously, they want to shut you down. But if you fail to offer the appropriate amount of applause, and you fail to have the appropriate amount of enthusiasm while giving that applause, then you get shut down for that too, because that's also unsafe. Because that makes people feel bad about themselves. We just cannot stress enough how... Talk about dangerous. Okay, this is actually dangerous. When when we start, when speech and opinions are labeled unsafe, successfully, that's the real danger zone. Because we, we've always been told, we all grew up with this idea, sticks and stones, right? People can say what they want. They can believe what they want. As long as you're not physically harming another person, as long as you're not causing harm to another person, then you're well within your rights. Uh right? It's the, the, the old thing about how your fists can travel as uh, as far as you, your right to move your fist ends where my nose is and that kind of thing, right? Um, and what they want to be able to say, what people like over Glad want to say is that they, they still believe that, that of course, you have the right to have whatever opinion and express whatever views you want, as long as you're not harming another person. And then what they quickly add is that, oh, by the way, a lot of your opinions do cause harm. How do they cause harm? What kind of harm is it? Doesn't matter. We don't have to explain that to you. In fact, asking us to explain it also causes us harm. All right, let's move on now to reading the YouTube comments. First comment says, when I received my license, my parents instructed me that if I get pulled over, I am to say yes sir, no sir, and to obey all instructions. Yeah, I, I got the exact same speech. From my parents, of course, we're told that this is this is the talk that uh, only black parents have to give their kids. But I I can remember getting the same talk from as a white kid. I got the same talk from my parents. If you get pulled over, be respectful to a police officer. It's not going to do you any good to be disrespectful. And also, you know, my parents were of the opinion that as kids, we should just be respectful to all adults in general, whether they're police officers or not. Probably good advice in general. Orange Banana says, hey, Matt, sauna is a Finnish word. We're continuing this controversy from yesterday. Sauna is a Finnish word. In the Finnish language, each letter is enunciated, so it is pronounced sauna. If you did go to a Finnish sauna and pronounced it that way, they'd be impressed and might even give you a deal for saying it properly. Well, I would never be in a Finnish sauna or any other kind of sauna, but I refute. That is one word. Even if you're correct, I don't know if I believe you that it's pronounced Sauna. Heading over to the sauna today. I don't know if I believe you, but if you're right, this is one of those words where I think the right thing to do is to mispronounce it because the actual pronunciation sounds weird. Kind of very similar to when I go to get a gyro, I'm getting a gyro. I know it's, you could say it's pronounced euro or whatever. G-Y-R-O. Gyro sounds better. It looks better. That's how I pronounce it. Usually I'm all about protecting the integrity of, 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 of language, but, uh, there are some exceptions whenever I decide those exceptions are, that's when they are, uh, Matt, how do you get to the point where you don't care how many people you offend? I'm almost there myself, but I still have a guilty conscience when I hurt somebody's feelings. I guess for me, I, I can't really give you the how to process for me. It's been a, it's been really just a process of, of being numb. When everybody is offended all the time by everything you say, and you've got hundreds of people tossing labels at you and calling you a bigot and so on and so forth every single day, eventually you become numb to it, and you, you simply don't care anymore. And I'm I'm certainly at that point. But at the same time, and I, and I think we're at a, we all have to get to that point where you don't care about the labels that are tossed at you and the opinion of the peanut gallery doesn't mean anything to you, I think in order to survive, we all have to be that way. Now, speaking of cancel culture, in this cancel culture world, we all have to get to that point. Uh, Because if you allow yourself to be manipulated by those sorts of things, then you're never going to speak up at all. So I do think it's a necessity, but I I would almost call it a necessary evil in a way. Because... In a perfect world, that's not actually a healthy way to be. It's not great psychologically. I realize that about myself. Psychologically, I don't care about other people's opinions at all. It doesn't mean anything to me. And so I I could have a thousand people screaming at me and so upset, and it it just means nothing. I don't care. I sleep like a baby. But in a perfect world, I probably should care. It's not really natural to not care. We, We are supposed to care about what other people think and say. We're human beings, we're social animals. So to be completely numb to it, it's ultimately not psychologically healthy, but it is necessary these days. So it's kind of a necessary evil. Um, Andre says, LMAO at Matt confusing Tupac with Biggie. When did I do that? A few people in the comments accused me of that. I said that, uh, that P. Diddy killed Tupac, which I don't know if that's true. Allegedly, that's the conspiracy theory. So I didn't confuse them at all. Are you saying that you think he killed Biggie, too? I haven't heard that one. He just killed them all. Maybe he did. I don't know. Um, And Joshua says, your rap music causes violence argument is no different than video games cause violence. It, It is different for all the reasons I gave yesterday. I would put video games more, video games are, are a separate distinct thing from music and movies, but if I had to put them in one category or the other, I think they're more in the movie category certainly than in the music category. With rap music, there is the explicit encouragement. You are directly romanticizing this kind of behavior and encouraging it. And also the rappers themselves claim repeatedly and passionately that they're not making this up. This is how they actually is. These are things they really did. Even Jay Z, who's like sixty-seven years old now and worth fifty billion dollars, I might be exaggerating slightly, but he's still when he's rapping, he's talking about when he sold crack forty-six years ago. That's all he's got to talk about. He's been rich forever. He's been a he's been a a, a rich multimillionaire for way longer than he was poor. Um. But the only thing he, he, he could think to talk about, the only thing in the world that he finds worthy of discussion still is bragging about when he was selling crack and also bragging about how rich he is now. That's it. Oftentimes, that's just, that's how rap music is. That's all it really has to offer. There may be some exceptions, but not many. And so that's the difference. Rap music presents itself as not fictional, even when it is, and you are and the the rapper is explicitly directly romanticizing and encouraging this behavior. Film is different because it's clearly fictional most of the time. And in many cases, even if there's a bad guy doing bad things in the movie, it's not being it's not being encouraged. Like that the the bad guy is the bad guy and he's being presented that way. And I think that's probably the case oftentimes in video games, though not always. I also don't play video games, so it's hard for me to speak, but I would, uh, I would probably say video games belong more in the film category. Now, a word from Beard Supply. Listen, there are a few facts about beards, uh, and these are, these are just, this is science, folks. This is scientific facts. One is that, and this has been scientifically proven, that uh, men with beards are more attractive to women I, think, I, think they're, I don't have to quote you the studies. I just know that they have been done. And also, I think men with beards have more uh, moral worth. Uh, have, have, and, and I think that should re- even be reflected in our laws. We should have you know, certain rights and, and dignities that are not afforded to, to average people. Those are all just my views of beards. The point is, I'm a beard advocate. Beard supply might not agree with all that, but uh, they are all about helping bearded guys look, be- look their best. And uh, look, manly men grow beards, they grill meat, and they drink handcrafted booze. That's, those are also facts, scientific facts. And thanks to the manliest giveaway ever, some lucky guy will be doing those things for free. Enter to win a stash of goods from Beard Supply, Meat Church, Desert Door, Howler Brothers, and more. Badass brands for the red-blooded American male. One lucky winner will get a collection of beard oils and grooming essentials, tools for grilling and leather care, and a $200 gift card for an outdoor menswear shopping spree. You get all of that, you can up your man game with this stash of goods, but don't delay. The Beard Supply spring giveaway is ending soon, so get on over to BeardSupply.com giveaway to enter. That's BeardSupply.com giveaway, and good luck. Also, if you own an Apple device, uh, I've got some good news for you. All of The Daily Wire's latest news, commentary, and analysis is now available on Apple News, so we cover everything that you're not getting anywhere else. If you want to make your news feed infinitely better, just head to Apple News on your device, search for The Daily Wire, and hit the follow button. It's as simple as that. Now let's get to our daily cancellation today for our daily cancellation we turn our gaze to a woman called tess holiday a morbidly obese woman who identifies as a model holiday has been a plus-size model and body acceptance advocate for many years she feels very strongly that obesity is a wonderful thing and we should encourage more of it basically tess holiday will be dead before the age of 60 and she very much wants you to join her in this act of suicide and i understand that may seem like a harsh way of putting it but Encouraging morbid obesity is an awful, dangerous thing to do. And I think we need to be very exceedingly clear about that. Tess Holliday is easily 200 pounds overweight from the looks of it, maybe more than that. Nobody gets to that point naturally. Nobody is born that way. That isn't a thyroid condition. You have to spend many years eating a lot of food and getting very little exercise in order to achieve that sort of size. And that's why we have in the past and should continue to put a stigma on morbid obesity. Yeah, there should be a stigma. It's not the look that we're stigmatizing. It's sloth and gluttony, which is what leads to morbid obesity. Why do we stigmatize sloth and gluttony? Well, because that those qualities will make you miserable and unhappy and unhealthy and eventually kill you. So yeah, we should stigmatize it. So when we say that Tess Holliday is an obesity advocate, what we really mean is that she advocates the behaviors, the self-destructive suicidal behaviors that lead to obesity, And for that, she should be thoroughly shamed and condemned. She doesn't care about body positivity anyway, much less self-love. She is merely trying to justify and feel better about her own vices by encouraging others to join her in them. Misery loves company. It's a a truth as old as time. Now, these are all true statements about Tess Holliday, but we we were never supposed to say any of that out loud. And and now we're even more so supposed to shut up about it, given that Tess Holliday has found a new way to make a victim of herself. The morbidly obese woman announced on Twitter a few days ago that she's in recovery for anorexia. And we have to say that her recovery appears to be going pretty well. Here's what she said, reading from the Daily Wire article. It says, plus size model and fat activist Tess Holiday revealed last week that she has anorexia and is in recovery. Quote, I'm anorexic and I'm in recovery. Holiday wrote on t- Twitter on May 1st. I'm not ashamed to say it out loud anymore. I'm the result of a culture that celebrates thinness and equates that to worth. But I get to write my own narrative now. I'm finally able to care for a body that I've punished my entire life, and I'm finally free. Uh, And then she continued, not the but-you're-fat, how-are-you-anorexic comments. Y'all don't know how science and bodies work, do you? My technical diagnosis is anorexia nervosa, and yes, I'm still not ashamed. I'm too damn happy for y'all to even come close to dimming my shine." Responding to criticism concerning Holiday's body acceptance activism, she said, quote, to everyone saying that I can't possibly love myself and have an eating disorder, that is, an actu- that is the actual definition of loving myself, being able to prioritize myself and be in recovery. I'm more self-aware than any of my critics, but you know, y'all go off. In an Instagram post, Holiday similarly talked about her weight and scolded people who tell her that she looks healthy lately. Quote, to everyone that keeps saying you're looking healthy lately or you're losing weight, keep it up. Stop. Don't comment on my weight or perceived health. Keep it to yourself. Thanks. Periods in, in between all those words. Um, okay. Now, yeah, she don't, don't comment on Tess Holliday's weight. None of your business. I mean, Tess Holliday poses half naked in front of cameras every day, talks about her weight, brags about her body, constantly shares all kinds of information and imagery with the public that none of us asked to know or see. I mean, we're trying to go about our lives and Tess Holliday is always running up with a bullhorn shouting, hey guys, let me tell you more about my body. Anyone want to hear? And yet it's none of our business. We aren't supposed to talk about it. Well, perhaps Tess Holliday needs to choose a lane here. If you're a private person living your everyday life, minding your own business, and somebody comes up to you as you walk down the street and tells you that you're fat, then sure, that person's probably a bully. But if you go up to someone else who's minding their own business and say, hi, I'm fat. Isn't that great? They are well within their rights to respond and say, no, ma'am, it's not great. It's not attractive. It's not healthy. And you're going to die soon. You might not like that answer, but you brought it up. Don't want to hear the answer? Then don't bring it up. This This is the rule. Anything you say to me, anything you bring up to me, I am allowed to have an opinion about. If you don't want to hear my opinion, don't tell me. If you don't want to hear the public's opinion, don't tell the public. But what about this claim that she's anorexic? I mean, how can that be? Good Morning America did a segment on the issue a few days ago where they interviewed Tess Holliday. And uh, here's what she said about it.
3: This morning, supermodel Tess Holliday revealing her struggle with anorexia. The mother of two saying she was recently diagnosed by a psychologist but has ultimately been struggling with disordered eating most of her life.
6: I always thought that I overate, but then people in my life would say, oh yeah, I eat more than Tess, and it was almost like I wore it as a badge of honor.
3: Known for loving and celebrating her curves as a body positive activist, Holiday has been receiving support for her honesty from many, but also being questioned by some online about how she could love her body and also have an eating disorder.
6: I've had a lot of messages from folks that are anorexic that are livid and angry because they feel like I'm lying. I am plus size, but advocating for diversity and larger bodies. And so I think for people hearing me say I'm anorexic was really jarring.
3: Holidays dietitian Anna Sweeney says if you think that most eating disorders are visible conditions, you're wrong. Eating disorders don't have to look a certain way.
6: I understand that people look at me and I don't fit what we have seen presented as, you know, the diagnosis for anorexia. But then for me, that tells me that there's a larger problem, which I've been actually saying for years is that we have a a lack of diversity and representation in the world.
0: Oh, my gosh, we need more diversity and representation in eating disorders. That's what she just said. For too long, skinny women have been getting all the anorexic attention. Tess Holiday believes that she's owed some of that attention, too. Why should they be getting this, this attention? I'm here. Well, I want attention, too. She believes that she's owed attention for being too fat and too skinny at the same time. She also seems to think she's stumbled on a good excuse here. She says that she thought she thought she was overeating. And frankly, the evidence for that theory is pretty good, I have to say, but Then she realized that she's anorexic, so if anything, she's under-eating. It's a clever trick, you have to admit. Now, obviously, a 300-plus-pound woman would not qualify under any coherent definition of the term as anorexic. The the very term anorexia comes from the Greek meaning without appetite. That's what anorexia means, without appetite. That is evidently not Tess Holliday's problem. But anorexia is a mental illness, and as we've discussed in this segment a few times recently, mental illness is a category experiencing its own um, rapid inflation, shall we say. A great many mental illnesses are simply medical labels for normal human behaviors, and even many of the ones that describe some kind of legitimate condition have been expanded now into near meaninglessness. Anorexia is the perfect example. Listen to the latest definition of anorexia provided by the website nationaleatingdisorders.org. Okay, this is what they say. Quoting now. To be diagnosed with anorexia, uh, or rather anorexia nervosa, according to the DSM-5, the following criteria must be met. One, restrictions, uh, restriction of energy intake relative to requirements leading to a significantly low body weight in the context of age, sex, developmental trajectory, and physical health. Intense fear of gaining weight or becoming fat even though underweight. Those are the two, actually. So there's the low uh, low body fat and then also the intense fear of becoming fat. Those are the the two classic definitions for anorexia. So far, so sensible. That's what you imagine when you think of an anorexic person, right? Underweight, little appetite, not eating much, afraid of getting fat, etc. But then there's the third definition added recently. Also this, quote, disturbance in the way in which one's body weight or shape is experienced, undue influence of body weight or shape on self-evaluation or denial of the seriousness of the current low body weight. Well, there it is. Undue influence of body weight or shape on self-evaluation. In other words, everyone is anorexic. Did you know that? You're anorexic, so am I, we all are. Welcome to the club. Every single person on earth is anorexic. Because it could be argued that all of us, at least one point or another, have been overly concerned about our body weight or shape. What counts as undue influence? I mean, how much influence is due and who decides that? Who decides when it's undue? Well, nobody does. It's all subjective. It's all arbitrary. It's a one-size-fits-all label. That's the point. We live in a culture where many people are desperate to be victims desperate to relieve themselves of the burden of agency and self-determination. Unfortunately, the medical industry is more than happy to oblige, which is how Tess Holliday gets to be a morbid, obese, body positivity advocate who brags about her obesity, yet at the same time is not responsible for her obesity because somehow it's a symptom of a disorder which, for everyone else, causes a catastrophic loss of body weight. It doesn't make any sense at all. No sense. But it's not supposed to. This is what makes Tess Holliday feel the best about, best about herself and her choices. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters. So, for that reason, we have to say that Tess Holliday today is canceled. And uh, we'll leave it there. And, you know, for good measure, we're going to cancel the DSM-5 for like the fourth time in the last uh, week and a half. I didn't even plan this out. I mean, we spent much of the last week talking about this problem of how mental illnesses are being expanded. And then this is the story today. There you go. Hate to say I told you so. Actually, I don't, I love it. But uh, anyway, Test Holiday is canceled. We'll leave it there for today. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager Pavel Vodovsky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Walsh Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. California shrinks for the first time ever. A fat activist claims to have anorexia. And a UK pastor gets reported to the terror watch list for questioning the left's weird sex claims. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.